There's something magical that happens when you look at your sales presentation and say, I'm going to own this 100%. I'm going to find out why I'm closing deals or why I'm not closing deals. And I'm going to fix the issues that I have. No matter if it hurts my feelings, no matter if it takes time, energy, effort, or money, I'm going to make it happen. There's something about making that statement of saying, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do what it takes to make it happen. That'll put you in the lead and allow you to close some deals that other people can't. Every single message you deliver is really a sales call. Either you are selling or being sold. Salespeople love to brag about their skills. And the truth is, your success in closing sales depends on your skills, your abilities, and finding the right training. And the great news is, you have come to the right place here at The How to Sell Show with your hosts, Dale Bell and Scott Sylvanbell. And be sure to join the party at howtosell.live and download your copy of The 10 Common Mistakes Salespeople Make. Aloha from Sacramento, California today. Today's a good day. I'm coming to you live from the How to Sell Show studios. And we are going to have a good conversation today. And it's going to be titled, Why You Must Own Your Sales Process. Why You Must Own Your Sales Process. Now, I get the chance to work with salespeople, various industries, different subjects, different levels of abilities. And I see common traits. I see trends. I see things that happen. And I want to give you some insider information from being right in the front line of dealing with closers, posers, and everything in between. Real deal, the difference between real closers and posers, the amount of personal responsibility, the amount of belief, if it is to be, it's up to me. And what will happen is I will see salespeople who are brand new, who really want somebody to do the hard work for them. It's like it's a really pathetic way of selling. And what will happen is a company will hire somebody who's brand new and they really don't want to put in the time. They don't want to put in the effort. They don't want to put in the energy. They don't want to put in the risk. So let's say the company brings them in, says, we're going to bring you in from eight to five. We're going to give you some training. Well, at the end of the day, that new sales guy, that new sales girl isn't doing anything they can to make themselves better. They wait for the next day. And they're like, oh man, it was a hard day today. I put in my eight hours. I got my eight hours. My eight hours are done. And the people who will trounce them and the people who will crush them will go like, you know what? I got my eight hours in. I'm going to go home. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to listen to some podcasts. I'm going to watch some videos. I'm going to jump on the phone with a closer and I'm going to make my presentation better. And it never fails. Doesn't matter the industry that I work in. Doesn't matter who I look at. The people who are really good at what they do, the real deal closers versus the people who are 25, 30 miles behind them is the amount of work and effort that they put into their sales presentation of saying, look, I'm going to take the lumps. And for some people, I want to give you two warnings here. A little bit late in the presentation, conversation, episode, whatever you want to call it, is one, this is an asbestos underwear conversation. You may get your feelings hurt and you may have to hear this. And if your feelings are hurt right now and you're like, Scott, I don't, I don't believe that. I, I put my eight hours in and I'm good, right? I'm going to call you out right now and say, if you're new to sales and you're thinking eight hours is good enough, <laughs> I got to tell you something. You are going to miss some deals. You are going to miss out on some money. And there may be a very small chance that you're a naturally talented salesperson, but that's a small chance. If you're closing massive deals and you're not having problems, okay, this doesn't apply to you. But if you're walking into a deal and you're not closing it, put on your asbestos underwear because you need to hear this conversation. 
Because the second part of this is once I say what has to be said, you can't go backwards. You can't unring the bell. You can't unhear what I'm going to say. There's times where I work with salespeople. Companies will hire me. I'll go out and I will stand in front of a room and people will flat out lie about their skills, their techniques, their capabilities. And, you know, there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell. And in the book, Blink, they talk about a statue that was bought by a museum. All the due diligence was done up front. They checked paperwork. They checked information. They said, hey, this is an A-plus $10 million sculpture. It's made of marble. We're going to bring it in. We're going to put it in the museum. The statue shows up. The docents or the people who run the museum, they walk around the statue and they're like, it looks real, but it seems like a fraud. It seems like there's a problem. It seems like something wrong is going on here. Well, For the people who've been in business and sales for a while, they look at brand new salespeople. They look at people who say they're closers and they know. They know. They just look and they shake their head and they're like, either you're real deal or you're not. And I've had the opportunity to work with some amazing salespeople and I've had the opportunity to work with some amazing posers. And I will tell you, the difference between the people who crush it and really do have the ability to close deals are the guys and the girls who are willing to take their own time, their own money, their own energy, their own effort, and say, what do I got to do to get better at what I do? Sales is hard, and freaking thank goodness it is, because it pushes people out. It's funny, because like I'll talk to my friends that work in the world of car sales, and they'll be like, you know, Scott, I work at this dealership, and they just hired 10 more salespeople. So what that means is one salesperson's going to be good, three salespeople are going to be okay, and six of those people will never make it. That's Those are the numbers. One three, six, one, three, six. And I'll tell you the difference between the one, the three and the six comes down to role play, dedication and effort. You have to own your sales process. It takes discipline. You know, as it is right now, I'll let you know that I'm recording this episode. It's a Sunday afternoon. It's nice outside. Everybody's playing. Everybody's having fun. And I'm like, no, you know, I need to get my content out. I need to put my episode out. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to forego to be good exceptional, amazing at what you do. Cause those are three different levels. Those are going to take three different things for you to get there. And here's the thing. You can make an okay living. You can make an okay living and you're going to be in the call anyway. For you, what's an okay living? And it depends upon where you live and depends upon what you want to do. I could say that to some people and they're like, Scott, you know, an okay living for me is $2 million a year. I'm like, I like this answer, right? $2 million a year. I could, I could do that. Some people will say, hey, Scott, an okay living for me is 500 grand a year. Some people may say, Scott, an okay living for me is 250. Some may say 100. Some may say, you know, $50,000. Your number really needs to have the boundaries pushed because no matter what industry you're in, you can make some serious coin. It's funny because, you know, I grew up in the residential sales industry, heating and air, plumbing, roofing, concrete landscaping. And there's people in that industry who will pull down half a million dollars a year, $900,000 a year. And the people who, who aren't on the inside, they'll be like, there's no way. There's no way you can make that much money. In 2010, I, I met a woman. I met a woman that was dating and she asked me what I did. And I said, Hey, I do in-home sales. And she's like, eh, you know, you probably can't make anything more than $60,000 a year in that industry. And I laughed. And I happened to have my W-2 and I showed it to her and I said, this is how much money I made last year. And then all of a sudden she was really interested. So she really didn't work out. You know, she created her own objection for herself. You can't wait for others. You cannot wait for others. Like this is not a game of the group goes or nobody goes. This is a game of 
Like it's you against you in sales. It's not you against everybody else. It's you against you. And I will see salespeople say, well, you know, my, my owner, my boss didn't pay for my training. My sales mommy, my sales daddy didn't pay for training and I didn't do it. Okay. Stat that I'm going to use that I cannot find attribution for, but I'd love to find is the average person pays less than $25 a year for their own sales training. That's books, purchases or whatever. So I want you to really think about that. 25 bucks is a hardbound cover book. 25 bucks is two, two books on Audible if you got the, the account with Audible. Uh, 25 bucks is a DVD. 25 bucks is a sales training that's on sale from sales trainer X, Y, or Z. 25 bucks, let's dimensionalize it even other ways. It's two windows. That's two drive-up window lunches, uh, large with burgers, fries, and, and maybe a shake. Okay. Uh, right now, as we speak, it's probably about seven gallons. It's probably about seven gallons of gas. It could be eight gallons of gas, nine gallons of gas of where you live. Uh, it's a couple of shots at a bar. It's a couple of beer bottles at a bar. It's just, it's insane that the most salespeople won't do it. And realistically, when I interview salespeople, I'll give you a hint. If you ever get interviewed by me, you better be prepared for this question is, Hey, how much have you invested in yourself this year? And if somebody has been in sales for a while and they're like nothing, I'm like, mm, right. Doesn't mean that they're not a good salesperson. It doesn't mean that they can't close some deals, but it means that they're not serious to me about their job. The best closers that I know are constantly looking for word tracks. They're looking for books. They're looking for programs. They're looking for that edge just to get one deal from the poser who's sitting there that doesn't know what to say and doesn't know what to do. Because they know they're going to have to go to the clash of the titans when they're up against another closer, and they're going to have to bring their A game. And since they're always on their A game, they've got content. They've got skills. They've got techniques. And it may come down that you're like, Scott, things are tough. Okay, do they have a library in your town? Oh, you know, Scott, I don't have a library card. Okay, look, big boy pants, big girl pants, put on some diamond encrusted titanium plated underwear at this point, like a library card is free. Well, Scott, I, I, I can't get to the library. I'm like, how do you get to your job? Scott, um, there's nowhere else for me to find information. I'm like, there's podcasts. There's plenty of great sales trainers out there. There's great people out there who have awesome content that you could pick up from. Fine. You don't like me because I'm bald because I've got an extra chin because I wear Aloha shirts and I shoot a bunch of videos in Hawaii. Go find somebody else. Go look up like somebody like Victor Antonio. Victor Antonio is a smart dude. Go look up somebody like Ryan Stuman. Go look up some people who can get you some information that can really change your life, right? Like, hey, stop looking for reasons to not like me. Stop looking for reasons to not get sales training. Stop looking for reasons to stop getting sales coaching, like, you're going to have to own this. You can't wait for other people. You can't wait for somebody to be the person who pays for what you do. You have to admit, like, look, I got to be all in here. I got to I gotta have to, to pay for this. And I may have to scrimp and save. I may have to sell something that I don't want to sell. I may have to sell a good or a product to, to get coaching. I may have to work on the weekends. I may have to drive a car, an Uber. I may have to do things that I don't want to do that are illegal, to get to where I want to be and make sure that you do the things that are illegal and you stay away from the things that are illegal. And you gotta, you gotta be willing to look dumb or silly. I, I, there's so many times that I work with people that they don't, they don't want to do the work. They, they, because they're afraid to be judged. And my whole thing is, is way better to be judged in a sales training room than it is to be judged by a buyer and get a fake answer. Like I'm going to think about it. Like put a ton of pressure on yourself in a training room. Put a ton of pressure on yourself when you're dealing with a coach or a mentor.
You have to admit it's all you. If you lose a deal, you got to start with your problems, not why it's a bad lead. Like this, this is a huge mistake. I see this a lot. Okay. Difference between a pro and difference between a Joe. A pro is going to say, man, I screwed up. I could have done this better. I could have done that better. A Joe, a poser, they're going to say it was the lead. Instead of saying, like, look, I own my sales process. I own everything that I do. The minute that you shove off the information and package it up and say it was somebody else's fault, you don't own your sales process. You're giving away your ability to somebody else. You know, your job is to figure out a way to close the deal. That's the secret of sales. How do I find a way to close this deal? What question do I got to ask? What story do I got to tell? What objection do I got to face? What presentation do I have to give? And what it really comes down to is most salespeople don't want to do that. They want to, they want to say it was the lead that sucked. I know some badass, badass closers that will tell you, hand down, like, look, I own it. I sucked in the call. It was my fault. I didn't, I, I didn't close the deal. The Joe, the guy who thinks that he's a salesperson is going to say it was a lead. It was a lead that sucked, right? So I have this belief. I have a very strong belief that there's no such thing as mulligans in sales. If you look at my closing rates from the time that I started to the time that I walked away from doing sales day to day, every day, I never asked for leads to be removed. Oh, it was a Wednesday and a full moon. I didn't like it. Take it off my my numbers. Oh, um, I met with one buyer and it was a one leg appointment. Take it off my, my lead and my schedule. Like, no, you can't know how you're doing and you can't own your sales process if you're allowed to take lead count out. If you went to 10 calls, you went to 10 calls. If you had 10 ups, you had 10 ups. If you close 70, <laughs> if you close seven, you have a 70% closing rate. If you close five, you got a 50. If you close zero, it's a zero. You can't say it was all these outside circumstances. The moment that you start discounting why you didn't close that lead, like you no longer own your sales presentation. Your excuses do. You got to take the lumps. There's lumps in learning. Sometimes your feelings are going to get hurt. Maybe so far in this conversation, you're like, Scott, I kind of like you, but you kind of hurt my feelings. Hey, you needed to hear it. It's a conversation that needed to be had. It's something that you needed to, to think through. When I, when I first started in copywriting in like 2010, 2011, I had a copywriting coach. His name is David Garfinkel. He's known as the best copywriting coach in the world. And there's something they do in the copywriting world when you write your first piece of copy. They say, go ahead and go print it out. And you go print it out. And they say, hold it in front of you. And you hold it in front of yourself. And they say, now rip it up. And you're like, what? And they're like, rip it up. Because they know that you have to you have to go, all right, I'm going to put in the work and the effort. In the world of copywriting, copywriting is rewriting. In the world of sales, it's all about the presentation and being good about your presentation. It was hard for me. The first time that I had to take my piece of copy that I wrote that I'm like, oh, I put a, a bunch of time, energy, and effort into this. I'm doing amazing. I'm doing fantastic. And I have David, my, my coach, say, Mm-mm, it sucks. And it's the same thing. There's times where I work with people. They'll hire me or company will hire me. And I'll say, give me your presentation again. Say it again. Do it again. Give me your presentation. And I'm not easy to work with. And there's a reason for it. You want to work with me? You want to hire me? I'm going to make sure that you're better at what you do. And there's probably going to be a time that you're like, hey, I want to quit. I want to give up. I look at it like a sales agogi. The agogi is what the Spartans used when they were training their warriors. And it was meant to be tough and it was meant to be hard. So there's a reason why I own salesagogi.com, right? Because you're going to work with me. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be super difficult. But you know what? Here's the thing. When you meet with a buyer, 
and you meet with a client, you should always say role play was way harder than meeting with this dude or this chick. You can't just focus on one point of your presentation. So I'm going to give you a generic 10 step sales process. And based upon this information, you give me your score on what you do in your sales process. So let's start with number one, set the agenda. Number two, build rapport. Number three, discovery, ask questions. Number four, recap with the buyer in the discovery phase to confirm their wants, needs, and desires. Number five, give your presentation based upon the information from your discovery phase and what the buyer has told you. And if you say, I give a one-off presentation every time, chances are pretty good. You can't be monetized. You'll have a 15 to 20% closing rate. That's just how numbers play out. Number six, saying what needs to be said, the hard truth. Some of this comes to ignoring what the buyer says about you, about your competition, about pricing, and about information and things that they've heard. Like what what somebody else has said is irrelevant when you're the expert. When you go to a sales presentation and someone's like, well, this guy said this and that girl said that, you should be like, none of that's relevant because the real deal is you got me here. That's part of saying what needs to be said. Number seven, engagement or good interaction with the buyer. Angry people still buy. So part of this comes down to like, can you deal with people who are mad at you for saying the hard truth? Part number eight, asking for the sale. Number nine, overcoming objections. Learn how to ask one more question. Learn how to tell one more story. And number 10, follow-up. And if you don't have a solid follow-up game plan, check out episode number 35 of the How to Sell Show. I give you like 21 steps to a follow-up program. So here's the thing. I'll take a sales team and I'll say out of those 10 steps, score them. One to 10, right? One to 10 for intro, rapport, discovery, part one, discovery, part two, presentation, saying what needs to be said, engagement, asking for the sale, overcoming objections or follow-up. And I'll have people come to me and be like, hey, Scott, I got 100%. And I'll go, fantastic. What's your closing rate? And they'll go 45%. I'll be like, look, you know what? You need to own your sales presentation. You're lying to yourself. You are lying to yourself. I I very rarely come across somebody who is exceptional at sales that will tell me 100%. They'll, they might say like, hey, Scott, I feel like I got an 80. And I'll say, what's your closing rate? They'll tell me like 65, 70%. Like, where do you feel like you struggle? They know where they struggle. Where I see brand new salespeople come in where they're just really cocky about what they do, where people who don't want to look dumb and they don't want to look silly, they over they overstate what they they think that they can do. And it's a mistake. It's a problem. It causes issues. So if you had to go through this 10-step sales process and and look at it and say, hey, where do I really stack up if I rate everything from nine from one to one to ten? If you're saying a hundred percent, you're freaking lying to yourself. You are lying to yourself. And you can't do that. If you're gonna own your sales presentation, the last thing you need to do is lie to yourself. You're not gonna get anywhere with that. You have to be willing to put in the, the effort that nobody else is. And it may be that you go to your coach or your mentor and you're like, hey, I've got a list of 10 things where I think that I'm good. And uh, number one's intro. Number two is rapport. Number three is discovery. Number four is discovery. Number five is presentation. Number six is saying what needs to be said. Number seven is engagement. Number eight is asking for the sale. Number nine is overcoming objections. And number 10 is following up. And I feel like I'm really good at the intro, the the rapport, and the discovery phase. And your coach or your mentor would be like, nope, that's not your problem. You suck in discovery phase. And it may hurt your feelings. They may say it a little bit differently, but you have to be prepared for your feelings to be hurt. You have to be prepared for the issues that you're going to face. 
And being in the put in the work, being willing to put in the work and the effort is doing those things that nobody else wants to do. And part of that is being told you're wrong. Part of that is being told do it again. Part of the the frustration that you face as a salesperson by not closing a deal can be circumvented by having frustration and pain and problems and role play. I'm going to let you in on a secret that I see salespeople make is in this 10 steps of a sales process, intro report, discovery one, discovery two, presentation, saying what needs to be said, engagement, asking for the sale, overcoming objections and following up. What they do is they say, hey, Scott, here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to speed up my sales process. And I'm just going to focus on overcoming objections and closing the deal. And my answer is yes, you can do that, but you're not owning your sales process when you act that way. You're not giving yourself the best ability to close more deals into the future and be profitable because anybody can get to the end of a sales presentation and overcome objections by discounting or price matching. But here's the other problem is your buyers are judging you through your sales presentation. And let's just say that your sales pre- presentation is 90 minutes long. And for 80 of those 90 minutes, you're one person. And then for the last 10 minutes, you're like, aha, I am not just a salesperson. I am a difficult closer, meaning I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my personality. I'm going to change my vocal pitch. I'm going to change my tone. I'm going to be somebody different. And the buyer is going to have a natural reaction and go, okay, I'll play your silly game. But in order for me to buy into what you're saying, it's going to take massive price matching. It's going to take massive discounting, or I'm going to say yes. And then as soon as you walk away, I'm going to cancel and we're not going to make this deal happen. The mistake in this process is to think that if you just focus on one of these elements, that everything's going to work out and everything's going to be okay. Now, I'm going to give you some insider information from me writing with salespeople for a very long time. What happens is salespeople go to intro to rapport and then they fake the discovery phase, number three and number four in my generic example here. And so one of the things that I work with salespeople on is like, look, there's the difference between having a discovery phase and asking questions. And then there's also the element of recapping and saying, I want to make sure that we have everything. Was there anything, if there was one thing that I missed, what would that one thing be? You really do have to look that like all these elements, all these 10 generic elements that I gave you, your process may have 15, it may have seven, but every element builds on the next element. It's not like there's one element that's more important than the other. How you present at the beginning, your intro says a lot about what's going to go down. For me, I'm going to tell you what I say when I sit down with people. I'll be like, look, here's the thing. One, I don't know how to sugarcoat. Two, I have a slight form of ADD. And three, when we get to the end, just tell me if you want it. Yes or no, no, no hard feelings. And people will laugh and they're like, well, you know, we got other people that we're talking to. I'm like, yeah, but just tell me, do you like it or you not like it? We get married or not. And sometimes it puts a little bit of tension in the beginning, but I'm not there just for a good interaction. I'm there for business and people know it. So every element in your presentation, whether it's nine steps, 12 steps, 15 steps, 20 steps, each one of them interlocking between with each other. And you do have to know this. It does matter. I want to give you one last piece of advice. When you take the time, the effort, and the energy to learn how to close deals, you create a new problem for yourself. And that problem is, is people don't see what effort that you put in. They don't know the time that you've spent. So let's say that your closing rate goes from 35% to 45%. People are like, yeah, I could see that. You go from 45% to 50%, 55%, somewhere around in there. People are like, I'm going to start paying attention to what this dude or this chick does. 
And then once you start topping off, let's say 55% to 65%, now you're a liar, you're a cheat, a cheat and a fraud. And that's because if you put in the work and you make yourself better, the other salespeople on the team now can blame something else instead of themselves. And you're going to find that the people who are really good at sales are going to encourage you and be like, game on. I'm going to go into competition head to head against you. And the people who really suck at what they do, they're going to start spreading rumors because you're making them look bad. Because if they own their sales process, they could be closing deals too. And so part of owning your sales process is knowing what problems it's going to cause. You may get questions. Somebody say, hey, I want to come watch your sales presentation. And they're going to say, I'm doing everything that you're doing. And the truth is they're not, or else they'd be closing deals too. So here's the thing. What you need to know is hands down, when you put in the time, the energy, and the effort, and you own your sales presentation, you're going to close deals. When you decide to outsource and say it's somebody else's fault, good luck because you're going to miss deals because you're not owning your sales process. Thanks for checking out this episode of the How to Sell Show. You can join the party at howtosell.live to get the show notes, links, updates on new episodes, recordings of previous episodes, articles, as well as videos. You may not know this sales secret, but sharing this episode with a friend will bring you good luck. See you soon. Mahalo.